0: I'm Mike Gorman and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. what's good everybody happy friday sorry the episode's a little bit later than usual i had to hold off until the morning on east coast time because i just felt like it was pointless reacting to one game and previewing another and then by the time you listen to it both games have happened anyway shout out to my boys greg and will neither of them could make it today so i've drafted in a pitch hitter somebody from celticsblog.com because this is a celticsblog.com podcast makes perfect sense somebody long time listeners will know well mr tim shields what's going on homie
1: Nothing much, man. Um, just kind of taking in everything that's been happening over the past few games and getting excited for the postseason. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of movement. So just sort of waiting for it all to pan out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, right? You get one win, you get one loss. But I think for me, the most important thing is even when you were shorthanded, you know, no Hawthorne, no Tatum, no Williams, blah, blah, blah. You still run the books close. And I felt like this for a while. I felt like this team has has depth. And one of the things that I've kind of been really big on lately in terms of roster construction is balance. You know, when you look at like um the NBA leaderboard, where it's like the best offensive team, the best defensive team, you often see like the Atlanta Hawks are one of the best offensive teams in the league, but they're also one of the, the worst defensive teams in the league. And there's, there's no balance there. And teams that have no balance generally get exposed once some of their better players go down injured. So for the Celtics, I feel like they've found that balance between being an offensively good team and a defensively good team. And when that happens, you can kind of fight your way through being down a couple of guys. Look at the Memphis Grizzlies. Their, their roster is incredibly well balanced. Jar Morant goes down. They're still winning. John Morant comes back, it doesn't change. Nothing skips a beat. They're still winning. The Celtics seem to be developing into that same mold just because there's so much talent, one through 10, one through 11. And then even guys like Sam Hauser I want to get into in depth in a moment can step in and give you something. So that balance to me has been one of the most important things.
1: Part of that comes down to fit. Part of it's also coaching. I mean, if you look at the ball movement too, Derek White said it as much, like when the ball is moving like it is, This is when basketball is at its best. This is when basketball is really fun. So it seems like all of these guys are enjoying playing with each other and they're learning how to play off of one another. The ball has just been humming a lot. The assist numbers have gone up across the board. They're, they're really looking good and they're not forcing the offense to, and Another example of it too is you saw Jason Tatum struggle against the Bulls offensively, just shooting wise, but the assists were there. His passing was phenomenal and he constantly was getting double teamed to making the right pass out of that situation in order to give his teammates a good bucket. So like there has been this steady progression specifically on the offensive side of things that have just, really tied together this Celtics team. Like we, we expected them to be a strong defensive team, but we weren't really sure for a while where this offense was going to come from. And a lot of that came down to them, trusting their teammates, keeping the ball moving, and just making the most of whatever looks they've got. And it, it's pretty impressive for them to be able to just go out there and hang with teams like they have, like going against the bucks in Milwaukee In losing by six when you didn't have Tatum, you didn't have Horford, you didn't have Rob out there. That's that's massive because this is a team that's still fighting for seeding. Like right now, there's a chance the Celtics could be at second. They could fall down to fourth potentially too. Like all of these teams are still trying to figure out where they're going to land. So it's not like anyone was mailing it in.
0: Yeah, and I think that's part of the impressiveness, right? Like, you know, no one's mailing it in, but more importantly, the Bucs went on some big runs and the Celtics responded every single time. You know what I mean? They're, I think there was one, the Bucs took the lead early, like midway through the first or midway through the second. I can't remember, but it was like a 14-point swing. And you, you're you sitting there and you're like, man, they've figured it out. The Bucs are going to just go on a tear here. And then all of a sudden, the Celtics respond and they come back with their own swing. And over previous months, like to begin the year or to end last season, a 14-point swing is Denial in the cuffing. You know what I mean? There would be no fight left. That wind has been took out of your sails and you're kind of just drifting gamelessly into the final whistle. We don't see that anymore. There's like there's a bunch of fight, a bunch of desire, and a lot of guys. I think because again because of the roster construction, because of the depth on the team, I need to. If you can hear that door squeaking, I need to get some WD forty. Um, because of that r- roster construction, because of the depth of the team, everybody's fighting for. Um, for, for minutes, you know, there's genuine competition on this team now. The sixth, seventh, eighth man have to look over their shoulder because the ninth man's knocking on the door, the tenth man's knocking on the door. And that forces you to play the right way, it forces you to up your level of production and up your level of intensity, because if you don't, then it is a next man up mentality. And we're seeing that at the moment. Uh, Again, I want to move, I want to kind of move this into Sam Hauser as a point, as a case in point, you know, all year we've all been pushing for Aaron Neesmith to get minutes because he's meant to be the shooter, the floor spacer. He's the guy that showed so much promise towards the end of last season. With some flashes, I mean, he was good against um, Chicago. I saw somebody put up um, a meme of like um, Aaron Neesmith's face on Michael Jordan, like what Neesmith turns into during garbage time for the Celtics. Yeah, cool. Hazza came in and gave you legitimate minutes, some deep, some big buckets, reliable shooting against the defending champions that were at full strength, that were defending him like he was a catch and shoot guy he's knocking on that door saying to udoka hey look at me right now if you need shooting if we're facing a team like milwaukee that's going to pressure the perimeter and then pinch when you drive i'm your outlet guy i'm the guy not neesmith me i'm the guy and that forces everybody else to be like damn i've got to raise my game to make sure he's not taking any of my minutes
1: yeah and i think boston's in this weird spot where They were looking for shooting for a really long time and they started to figure out other ways to score and they started to get better looks by ball movement and the shots started to fall but having another guy on the bench that you can actually lean on and depend on is huge. And I think that they've had a couple different opportunities to have a knockdown shooter off the bench, whether you want to really go ahead and like have revisionist history with Max Struess or letting Evan Fournier walk. Like they've wanted to have that specialist. They thought they were going to get that in Aaron Neesmith when they drafted him. They haven't been getting it consistently. And Sam Hauser for a long time just hasn't been able to crack that rotation, but they converted him to a full-time contract. They've got him on the books for a few years now, I think. And he looked phenomenal against the Bucks. Like that stroke is real. Like that three-point shot is legitimate and he looked good getting out there, getting out and running. Like the biggest thing for him right now is just how consistently can he do this? Can he come into a game cold, you know, 15, maybe 20 minutes if he has to. It's probably more realistically somewhere between 10 and 15, unless like the occasion calls for it. But I, I really want to see if they can utilize him more because that was really, really promising, especially against a team like the Bucks. And that's a potential matchup that you might have down the line. So... If he had some success in a game where you didn't have Jason Tatum and Hal Horford and Robert Williams on the floor, imagine what he can do when you have three of your best facilitators on the floor with him.
0: More importantly, three guys that are going to impact the spacing incredibly, like mm. immensely. Now you said um, houses on the books for a few more years, just to kind of give everybody a little bit of context there. He's got a club option. So a team option for next season, the team can choose to keep him or choose to let him hit free agency. Ideally, if you're trying to keep your, uh, if you're trying to have impactful players on low costs, then you keep Sam Hauser around. His, uh, his salary for next year, if the team pick up the option, is 1.5 mil, which to be fair, he's only earning 300k this season. So it's a nice little jump for him, but it's also pennies in terms of NBA salary. So I think there's a reason why you keep Sam Hauser around. And like you say, if he can do this. In a game where you don't have the space in that Tatum provides, where you don't have the reads that Tatum makes, where Horford's not there to give you a little bit of more of an option above the perimeter in terms of play calls and an extra facilitator, an extra floor general. What can he do when he's plugged and played? Now, I'm not making a case for him to be the seventh or eighth guy in this rotation. What I'm saying is, if you come into a game and you're like, and you're flat, your threes aren't falling, I think that competition of hauser kind of i feel like houses beat out neesmith in terms of if we just need scoring now if you need controlled chaos neesmith wins that battle but in terms of balance and intensity and fight for every every inch of game time you're getting neesmith doesn't get another nod over hauser at this point for for um, scoring minutes if you just need a shooter
1: and that's tough right because i think neesmith does need that developmental m- minutes and like I think when you look at Hauser specifically, you're still concerned about his defense. That's part of the reason why he hasn't been getting more minutes. And also just because of the depth that Boston has been able to get out of guys like Derek White. You've you've been able to turn to Aaron Nesmith when you need that energy, that spark plug. Like you said, the, the chaotic energy that Aaron Nesmith has it is very contagious. And he's been able to spark runs for Boston um, whenever he's been able to get out on the floor but even then, like neither of these players has been getting consistent minutes for this season. So moving forward, like you said, if they need a shooter, they might need to be turning to Hauser. He's got a little bit more size than Neesmith. The defense, if he can get it anywhere near passable, you might actually have like a legitimate bench shooter right now. And that's something that Boston hasn't had for a little bit. And considering where the team is going, where you're looking at the core being locked up the way that they are, you want guys who are consistent, who are on low money, who are known commodities. And if you're able to go ahead and find a diamond in the rough with a guy like Sam Hauser, like, that's big. Like, you, you missed on Max Struess because you let him walk to Miami. Because, you, you know, you made a move that you look back in hindsight, I get it's 2020, but still, letting a shooter like that go off the books and all of a sudden he goes to one of your biggest conference rivals and is knocking down buckets left and right, That probably was a wake-up call for the Celtics of, like, hey, if we think we can find a shooter, let's just sign him and see what happens. And Hauser, I mean, let's see what happens in the offseason. Like, if he builds up a little bit, works on his defense, gets in a little bit better conditioning, I feel really comfortable moving forward with Hauser off the bench just because I think that shot is legitimate. Like, that shooting stroke is beautiful. I mean, yeah, but when you look at it, like, Think of single-skilled shooters.
0: So when I say single-skilled, it is literally all they do. So I think Duncan Robinson is more than a single-skilled shooter, so I will leave him off this list. But Kyle Korver kind of comes to mind. Struess comes to mind. Hauser comes to mind. Those guys that just come in and not... Brim Forbes, I don't think Brim Forbes is a single-skill, actually, because he's more of a playmaker as well. But you get the idea, right? Just guys, none of these single-skill shooters are high-level defenders because then you're a free and d guy. Do you know what I mean? Now you're a completely different prototype of player. Single-skill shooters are incredibly valuable during the regular season. Their value diminishes in the playoffs when defense becomes, uh, you know, it gets more of a premium placed on it. But you still have a role to play. You can still give a team six to nine minutes of impact as a shooter that can't defend too much because you can get hit. They can hide you for a bit. Hauser's also quite a good size. He's got decent length. So, so I do think that he's a viable option for um, like small spurts just to give you a little bit of shooting, right? If he develops a three, well, uh, sorry, a free, if he develops some defense, then he becomes a three and D guy. And now his value around the league rockets and his value to you rockets during the playoffs. So I, I'm fine with that. It's the same reason why I was so high on Neesmith coming into the season, you know, projected as a, as a single skill shooter showed you that he could be a viable three-way scorer with defense. He he looked like a legitimate two-way wing in the making, and then the floor just fell out from underneath him this year. Oh, well, there's always next season. It happened to Grant Williams, too. (laughs) In in the same way, you know, Grant showed you a bunch as a rookie, struggled mightily as a sophomore, came back this year strong and earned his place. So I'm not writing Neesmith off for love nor money at this early point. What I will say is, though, I have been a little bit disappointed, and at the start of the year, I was blaming Nudoka. At this point, I'm kind of just like, yo, Udoka's probably right here. you got to lean with the coach a little bit when the sample size is this large. You know, we've had a whole season of it at this point.
1: Yeah, and it's also weird because you saw him in the Summer League looking pretty damn good. Like, you, I, I thought he was... When you looked at him and Grant, and Grant was in great shape, but when you saw Aaron Neesmith, like, in the Summer League, he, he looked like he was ready to contribute, like he was going to just come in and just do exactly what you expected him to do at at the start of last year when he was coming in, you know, the, when they drafted him, they expected him to come in and be that specialist shooter. That was sort of the first time that I've seen the Celtics actually go out and draft a shooter in the lottery in a long time where specifically was like, Hey, this is going to be one of the best shooters in the draft. And we've seen spurts. We've seen some games where he's looked phenomenal, but again, it's all a matter of consistency. And I don't think that the, the brain isn't there or like his IQ is not there or something when it comes to basketball or his conditioning, because he's in really great shape Um and he looks like he's actually bulked up a little bit as, as of late, but it's all, all a matter, I think of just confidence, like the form isn't bad, but there's, it's just a matter of just getting over that hump. I just think there's some kind of mental wrinkle there that he's got to like, you know, try and crease out over the off season. Maybe that just means, you know, working with a shooting coach, I mean, hey, what was it? What was the um? Oh, was it Deadly Sniper? Was the oh? You know who I'm talking about? He's the guy who worked with Grant Williams. Um, lethal shooter, lethal shooter. That's it. Lethal shooter worked with Grant Williams. I'm wondering if you can try and get him to work with Aaron Neesmith. And to be honest, picked up by a team
0: at this point. I saw something about that, but yeah. So if he's working with a team, then now nah, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be freelancing his you know what I mean. But I get what you're saying. Fine go go work Find with somebody. Drew Hanlon, do something. Uh... <laughs> I mean you can say what you want, but Tatum works with Drew Hanlon every year, you know. What yeah, I mean you can have your opinion, thing. but like everyone that trying there's a reason Drew Hanlon's, Hanlon's one of the best uh, or most prominent skills trainers. you know you can have your opinion on his opinions that's fine but like his body of work does speak for itself
1: yeah exactly
0: i think the next thing i want to kind of hit on is the incredible and i will say incredible triple double from Jalen brown I think like we kind of I kind of glossed over that because I was so impressed with Hauser because you expect a good performance from Jalen Brown when Tatum's not in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the second, was this only the second triple double of JB's career? He had his first one this season. I, I want to say it was against the Grizz maybe uh, a while back. Um, but I want to say this is only the second triple double we've seen from JB. He didn't shoot fantastically from the field, but he was doing everything else that you needed him to do. And granted, like, you have to also keep it in the context of Jason Tatum wasn't there. So- I mean,
0: you're talking like for me, my biggest knock on Brown all season, and one of the biggest things that I've been kind of championing is to have him operate as an off-ball play finisher. And I will, I will fight that till the, till I'm blue in the face <laughs> because he's been doing it over the last two like six weeks. And he's been incredibly effective. And I think that role really suits him. But his ability now to step in when Tatum's off and orchestrate offense, you know, 11 assists. How many turnovers? 11 assists, four turnovers for a yeah, guy that's a one-to-one ratio on his career. That's a great improvement. You know what I'm saying? 10 rebounds, Call cool. Tatum will give you round about that number. He's kind of filled in there. And then the shooting, I'm not too worried about your, devo- your number one option. The team has got an incredible defender in Drew Holiday. Giannis is a fantastic defender. You know I mean? Chris Middleton's no slouch. You're coming in as the number one option. Teams are going to scheme you out of the game as much as they possibly can, and they're going to force you to make plays. JB rose to that occasion and made the plays when he was forced to. Sure, he only shot 25% from three. I'm not tripping. He only shot eight for 20 from the field. I'm not tripping because every time he penetrated, the defense collapsed. Every time he got the ball on the wing, they threw two, they sent two, they they just literally done everything they could to force that ball. You know, you know JB's handles a little bit suspect at times. What do you want to do at that point? You want to pressure him as hard as possible and try and force those mistakes because that's what you've seen over his body of work through the season and throughout his career. I think Brand really handled the uh, the pressure. He handled the expectations and he stepped into that role. As a lead guy, as the number one option, this is probably the best performance I've seen from Jalen Brand in terms of being the guy.
1: Yeah, and I think it was, especially when you consider the opponent too, like, the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending NBA champions, like, that's that's no slouch matchup. And specifically for JB, like, I don't think the shooting was as much of an issue. as just more so because he was getting pressured defensively. You were going to see some of those numbers dip. Like, I think that was just kind of a given. But I want to say that his ball handling has gotten a little bit better, too, over the past, like, few weeks. Like, he seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable with it. He looked good this game. He looked good against the Bulls, too. He had a couple nasty plays where he just – he, he was making the ball do things I didn't think he could make it do, but he uh, he's looking a lot more comfortable out there. His decision-making has gotten better, too. And I think that's something that Ime Udoka specifically has harped on is just, like, the speed in which players are making their decisions, specifically with JT and JB. Like, Tatum and Brown's decision-making has gotten better and better, and not only that, but they're making the reads faster. So like they're able to predict when these double teams are coming. They're looking for guys. So like they're looking to create for one another as well as their teammates. And it's starting to show offensively for this team. And I also want to just say this too because I'm I'm writing a piece on it right now. But Jalen Brown has quietly been like one of the best first quarter options in the league. Like he's he's been phenomenal in the first quarter and he's been a massive part of. As to why Boston's been getting out to hot starts often. Like he's he's been seriously hitting the ground running lately, especially over the last like 15-20 games. And we've seen him string together what it was, I want to say it was nine straight games of 25 points or more. Like he, he's been looking really solid as of late. And you're you're getting him to heat up right now, right before the playoffs. That's perfect. Like you need him to be in form, and that's what you were missing last year. JB said as much, like he's ready to get out there and play because missing out on the playoffs last year, that that sucked. That made that Nets matchup just uh, so an absolute harder. nightmare. Yeah, just way way more difficult, and and that's why I think like and you lost Rub halfway through that series. Oh man, I that's just leaves a bad taste in the mouth, man. I hated that. Do you know what? Though you're right.
0: I mean, look, I don't think it's been that much of a quiet. Thing I think it's been quite prominent that he's such a good first quarter scorer, but you are right, and I think that again that comes down to during the first quarter Tatum's got the ball in his hands a lot. Brown can operate as an off ball finisher, and he's hmm. reaping the benefits of that. I've been hard, I've been begging for this for over a year, so I'm taking. <laughs> I want my flowers finally um, coming to fruition. <laughs> yeah, I want someone needs to send me some flowers, dude. I'm, I want, all my, I want my flowers. Some peonies, um, but yeah, I'm serious, man. I think that you talked about his handles looking better. I agree. But what I will say is don't forget at the very first few games of the season, all anyone could say was how much his handle had improved. He was doing some nasty crossovers, pulling guys back, then like Hezzy back around the back, and then he'd just like drive with the left. And he was just leaving guys cooked. And then he just stopped doing that because you went away, you went away from isolation-based basketball, which is fantastic. I'm glad that happened, but it was very easy, quickly forgotten that brand was showing an improved handle at the start of the year. Then, you know, you start asking him to make quicker decisions to see the double teams faster when that happens. And you kind of adjust into that, your handles a bit looser because you're too busy thinking about what's going on around you to think about what you're doing. The turnovers pile up and now everything started to all mesh together at the right time, as you said, and we're seeing this, the handles back the decision, making's decision, making's fantastic. You know, some people have called it processing speed, perceive the action, act, you know, you perceive it. So what was it? I've wrote this about five times. It's perceiving the action, processing the action and then acting on the action. So you perceive what's happening, you understand what's happening and what you need to do to get around it. And then you act on it. That's what people mean when they talk about processing speed in sports. So, you know, I see the double teams coming at me. I know that I need to get the ball out of my hands. I can see that Marcus Smart's open. Boom. I act on that. And the quicker you can do that, the more of a high-level player you become in terms of initiating and like cultivating offense and ball movement. So that's what that is there. And then, you know, past perception, understanding where you need to feed somebody the ball. I think that Tatum and Brown have both improved there. And by that, what I'm saying is, do you need to throw the ball over high do you need is a guy need to catch it above his head because the defenders really up into his back and they're just going to strip it as he tries to rip through does he need it on a bounce pass because somebody's got a hand in the passing lane and you've got to get it under the hand perceiving that pass perception is also incredibly important the one guy who i think has improved in his pass perception the most all through the season marcus smart by a country mile. The dude hit Daniel Tice with that, rant, that wraparound behind the back pass yesterday. It was beautiful. When I say beautiful, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat like <laughs> this, man. Like, pushing myself up. Like, my God. Like, because I grew up on and one mixtapes. That's the stuff that, I, like, that really gets me hyped. Marcus Smart was fantastic. Uh, what did he win? He went 10 or 16. Seven or twelve. Seven or twelve three. from deep. Yeah, I was gonna dude. say,
1: I was gonna say we should talk about smart because Marcus Smart saw
0: Sam Hauser dropping buckets and was like, nah, rookie when you're the one no, that can I'm do gonna. this. <laughs> like what you want about that? Like Marcus Smart was fantastic, and but I think he's been fantastic all season.
1: Yeah, but you this know, might you know, I've had go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say this might be the best offensive game we've seen from him. And granted, it's it it's bad that it's in a loss, but he looks so confident from three point, like three point range and This is also like a big thing because one of the massive things people have harped on was that Marcus Smart's three ball is too inconsistent or he's taking too many shots, but now it seems like he's more comfortable. He's confident. Teammates are finding him. The ball is moving to him at the right time and he's picking and choosing his moments so well And on top of that, he's one of the team's best facilitators. Like, he's been able to create consistently for other people. And then on top of that, just, like, adding another layer on top of this amazingness that has been Marcus this season – He's a Defensive Player of the Year candidate and in my mind, the front runner. Front runner.
0: Forget That's the right. of front, front runner.
1: Front <laughs> runner.
0: Like I'm not taking no candidate. No, 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 no. Front runner Otherwise, doers. It, it's just all for naught. And at that point, I'm just like, yo, don't talk to me next season about no end of season awards because I'm not interested in Marcus Smart isn't winning Defensive Player of the Year this year. Only time you'll get me to actually comment Next year, if Smart doesn't win DPOY this season, the only time I will comment is when Jason Tatum is named MVP. I say this now, I'll forget I said this, and I'll be commenting all the way through the stretch. But at the moment, I'm going to stand strong. You know what I'm saying? If Smart doesn't win DPOY this year, something's gone wrong and somebody needs to riot somewhere. You know, not not real riot, but like, you know, angry letters need to get sent. (laughs) Like, very angry emails, like really sternly worded with travesty and insanity and lots of itties that really hit
1: home like i'm not taking it dude north nor should you i mean this has been one of the best seasons we've seen out of marcus smart i think over the entirety of his career you know and offensively he's really just pieced it together and for all of the talk about you know the 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 rift between him and the Jays because he made those public comments or, you know, Boston needing a real point guard because Marcus Smart wasn't going to be able to do that job. Marcus Smart has literally gone out and done everything he said that he was going to be able to do. And it it's a, that time right now where people need to admit, if you haven't admitted it already, Marcus Smart shouldn't be going anywhere. Marcus Smart is the point guard that this team needs. He's, he's playing up to the expectation that you need him to play up to. I mean, he's great defensively. And like I think the team now, and they, they talked about it a little bit when they went out and got Derek White, but this team is really, really hard to attack defensively now because instead of a guy like Kemba Walker out there at point guard, you've got Marcus Smart. He and, can and, switch
0: one through five, but can we just mention? He can legitimately switch one through five. Kemba Walker couldn't switch he blocked one through honest
1: He blocked Giannis last night.
0: Like, just give me God. the ball back. That's what he was saying. And then you're talking about Kemba Walker. Like, we need to hide you on the corner.
1: And I pray to God somebody doesn't you don't have you, to to it. you don't have to scheme now. You don't have to scheme to hide anyone. In like... That's a that's a massive step up, and you have this flexibility now because you went out and you traded for Derek White. So you've got like this rotational flexibility where you can have a defense first point guard who's capable of moving the ball, who's capable of getting to the rim. You can swap out Smart or White, or you can run them at the same time. Like that is a massive get, and a lot of that comes down to the way that trading away is smart. Dennis Schroder. Oh man, I don't know. Oh, that's a that's a tough one, man. That's not I mean, tough. That's the best thing that this team <laughs> ever did. Well, especially because they got Daniel Tice. Like, that was. And you got rid of Ennis Canner. Tice, like, Tice, yeah, Tice, 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 Ennis. Yeah. that Tice man cometh. Vanilla Tice.
0: Tice is nice. Tice, nice. Tice is nice. Like, twice as nice, but Tice is, is nice. Tice is yeah, nice. Yeah. See what I did there? See what I did? Oh, there? yeah. I'm a poet. <laughs> somebody's driving a fast car by me i'm not used to recording in the daytime man i've been doing it a bit more recently yeah and like you know i look out the window and it's light and i'm like dude there's cars and people are actually like there's, there's activity outside i'm like yo go there away like, i'm trying to record man what are you doing <laughs> and so it's still an adjustment for me usually i drop my blind and then i see them all like looking at my house and stuff Like, go away! Wait, why are you yeah. looking at my house <laughs> yeah they're not looking at my house well they are yeah but like they all play <laughs> football and stuff like soccer in the street so after time the balls just rolled up onto my drive bless them it's usually, kids or teenagers. You know, you got. I'd rather that than everybody be stuck in playing games. Anyway, I've gone fair off enough. track. <laughs> I wanted to keep this to about a thirty-minute episode because that seems about fair. I feel like we've hit on everything I found that was incredibly important. Last thing was Luke Cornett failed to impress me. Um, but you know, I don't. It's Luke Cornett. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it it, it is what it is at this point, you know, until Rob Williams is back. And when Rob Williams is back, you're only seeing Luke Cornett when you've got a 50-point lead. And Emile doka has got, like, made a decision with 15 seconds left to turn to garbage time because he's shell-shocked from that one time he pulled the team too early and everything went wrong. You can see man. I've never seen someone so
1: shell-sucked off one bad decision. It's like Vietnam War flashbacks. But, yo, if
0: that's the only thing we can say to, about the guy, if that's the worst thing we can say about Udoka is he leaves guys in a bit
1: too long, like, so what? Yeah, I mean, as long as... I don't even think the minutes matter as much as just knowing when to pull guys, when to put them yeah, back Yeah, as long in. as,
0: you, you know, I think he's just very much like, I want to make sure the wind's in the books. Like, when I sit these guys, I want them sitting for the night, so I'm going to make sure that it's cemented. If that's the worst thing we can say, that you're a little bit too cautious with securing the win, yeah, I, I'll live with that.
1: Yeah, it's better than waiting too long to take a timeout. Exactly,
0: exactly. Which Brad Stevens did from time to time, but Brad Stevens was also excellent at coaching. So we won't say anything bad about the guy. He exactly. was very, very, very good. And he's but doing pretty he damn good as an official, work. is
1: but a, as a, is a GM executive. Executive. <laughs> That's the word we were looking for. Yes,
0: it was. Yes. Right, everybody. If you've enjoyed this show, make sure to share it on social media. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Reddit. Share it on Instagram. Tag me. I like people when they tag me. If you've got an opinion on what we've said, tag us at Tim Shields NBA, at Adam Taylor NBA. We're very, very unique with our handles, as you can tell. But it's how you can find us. Find me over at Instagram. Find me at Twitter. Find me at YouTube. Find Tim over at Twitter. Find him at Twitter. uh, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter Um, too. As you can see, he's very diversified in his coverage. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, everybody have a great weekend. We'll catch you again on Monday when we will know who the Celtics are going to be playing in the playoffs. Now, that's going to be a fun episode. I'm excited. If you're excited, tell me that you're excited. Tweet at me. Message me. I like it. Okay. Until then, everybody stay safe. Have a good one. Peace out. Tim, before we go, sorry, thank you for joining me, man. Of course, man.
1: Always, always a pleasure. Always down to hop on. I ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion, y'all been testing my patience never did it for a check, I've been
0: impressed with the famous, just rather be creative than stressing my wages, ageless every time I lay a verse down one play at a time, keep it moving like a first down, and at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major. still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am, it's something that I